0: When I was uh, probably, I, I guess I was probably around 10 years old, uh, I went to the dentist with a toothache, and the dentist asked me, and he was one of these old school, uh, dentist that you're just like, I think this guy's a little bit insane, to be totally honest with you. He's one of those guys, like, we don't need Novocaine, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and he asked me to open up uh, to to take a look at my tooth. And he said, what he said was, I just want to look around a little bit. And I want to see what's going on in there. And so he put something in my mouth. I couldn't quite see what it was. And before I knew it, without saying a word, he just pulled my tooth. Right? No Novocaine, no warning, no this might gently hurt a little bit, just pull the tooth, right? No warning at all, no numbing, no nothing. I remember another time uh, going to a doctor, and the nurse walked in, and uh, I needed some kind of vaccine or or shot or something, and she looked at me, and she said, "Uh, this is going to sting a little bit. And in my mind, what I saw was a needle the size of my entire body, right? That, that's what I saw as a kid. And she said, that, this is going to sting just a little bit. And what that turned out to be code for is this is going to hurt worse than anything you can imagine. I remember when I was in college, I was set up on a blind date and we had talked about everything and arranging everything and agreed to meet at the restaurant at 7, at seven o'clock. And like a total lame-o, I sat in that restaurant for an hour and a half waiting Right. Just waiting and waiting. And finally, I ordered something to go and walked, you know, with my head in shame. Right. She she never showed up. And, And some of you have had some experiences like that where someone said something and then they did a different thing. And if that's ever happened to you, and I think it's probably a shared experience in this room, if that's ever happened to you, you know how painful that can be. When someone says something, but they do something different. Someone said they would love you unconditionally, and they just didn't. Someone said they were going to be there in thick and thin, and they just Weren't Someone said they would never hurt you, and they did. They said one thing, and as time played out, they did a very different thing. And if you were to talk to that person, they would maybe say something like, well, I meant it when I said it. Has anyone ever said that to you? It's like, uh, you lied to me. You said you were gonna do this, and while when I told you the other thing, I meant it, right? I, I don't know how comforting that is, but they would say, I meant it when I said it. I thought I'd be there. I, I thought we'd stay in love. I thought I'd never hurt you. But when it came to actually doing the thing. It didn't turn out that way. So there can be a lot of road on this. There's a lot of road between what someone says they'll do, what someone believes, and what they actually do. And James is going to talk about this. And we're going to talk about, I think it's kind of a complicated uh, and difficult theological idea. But James agrees with you in this text, that there can be a lot of road between what we believe and what we say and what we think and what we actually do, right? And especially in Christianity, this is a series called Not Very Christian, and having those be a part is not very Christian. We want to have those as close together. What we believe and what we say and what we actually do as believers in Jesus, we want those things to be aligned and working in concert with one another. So some Christians believe in love. They, they speak about love, but they don't show it. They believe in kindness, but they don't show kindness. They believe in helping others, but they never really get around to it. Sometimes in Christianity, there's just this disconnect between what we believe and what we say and what we do. And we want to be sure that in our lives, as followers of Jesus, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute, but in our lives as followers of Jesus, what we believe and what we say and what we do, there's alignment. And those things are working in concert together. Here's how James says it. He said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, all right? So I, I'm saying, boy, I, I hope you're well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. James asks a legitimate question, right? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith, I have deeds, Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith with my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and Shudder. You foolish person. Don't you love James, right? Welcome to Thanksgiving weekend, right? Coming up. You fools, right? Happy Thanksgiving. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were—look at this—they were working together, and his faith was made by his, his faith was made complete by what he did, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness as. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And that, that we're going to get to the controversy of that in just a minute. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James 2. All right. Now, what James is painting a picture here of is the two extremes that people can go when it comes to faith. And then we're gonna talk about finding the middle, all right? That's what James is gonna teach us here is about finding the middle. But the two extremes are, first of all, faith is almost in totality about what I believe and about what I say I believe. That's one extreme people go to. So we study and we learn about Jesus and we can quote the books of the Bible frontwards and backwards, which by the way, I can do. All right. I'm not going to do the whole like, thing or whatever, but let me just show you this. All right. Genesis, Exodus, biggest Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. All right. I'll, I'll pa- pause there. Watch me do it backwards. Genesis, Exodus, biggest. Right. That's a real dumb camp joke. All right. So, all right. But they know all this stuff about the Bible. They know all sorts of theology. But James is talking about the person that would never consider helping the poor or serving on a ministry team or being a generous person. Paul says to the Corinthian church earlier, he says, listen, you know what knowledge does on its own? Knowledge is not bad, but knowledge on its own, here's what he says to the Corinthian church, it puffs up. It makes you arrogant. I love how the text says it. Belief without works is dead religion. James says it's like a body without a spirit. It's like a body without a spirit. It's dead. What it results in is angry, angry, angry Bible trivia experts, right? Spiritually pet answers. Hey, let go and let God. Easy answers and arrogant faith. I'll pray for you. I'll, art- I'll articulate what I believe. I'll-, I'll be firm in my theology, but I won't do anything. So I can tell you some things about Cheryl, my wife. I can tell you that she was a chemistry major in college. She was raised in Muskegon, Michigan. Uh, that before she homeschooled our, our, our son, she worked for a pharmaceutical company as a chemist. And all of those are facts. And they may be interesting to you. I don't, maybe not. I don't know. They, they might be interesting to you. But they don't really offer any insight at all as to why I love her so much. I've told you a bunch of things that I know about her, but I haven't told you all of the ways that I know her and why I love her. I haven't given you any insight into our relationship. And I'm not going to do that on stage. It'd be weird, right? So, (laughs) It's an illustration, right? We want the insights. You're not getting the insights. All right, so Jesus is the same way. He doesn't just want you to know stuff about him. The Bible says he wants you to actually know him to have a relationship with him, to fall in love a little more each day. Some people think they can impress Jesus with everything they know about the Bible. He's the author of it. He's not impressed, right? He is the word become flesh. He wrote the book. He knows more than you. He wins every Bible trivia competition. So Christianity on its own is not just about what we know. The other extreme Is that, all right, so it's not about just what we know. The other extreme is that then it's about what I do. It's about my good works. And so people like this, they serve and they give and they keep track of their religious deeds, but they don't really know Christ. They, they, they're not prayers. They're not in the word. They're, they're not doing that sort of stuff. Jesus said about this group uh, one time, that many will say to me on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and do all of this good stuff? Didn't we do things in your name? And, and they're all very impressive. And Jesus says, away from me. Why? You remember what Jesus said in that text? I never knew you. He says, you did all this stuff, but the relationship never really Existed. I told you this story a few weeks ago, but if you'll indulge me, it, it is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Someone teased me one time about that. I say that every other sermon about different stories, but um, this legitimately is one of my favorite stories. So let me tell it again, but Jesus told a story one time about a son that asked for his inheritance early, and he, uh, his father uh, was very wealthy, and he said, just give me my money now. So the father did that, and he took the money, and he spent it. He engaged, the Bible says, in wild living, all right? And pretty soon, a famine strikes the land. He loses all of the money. The market went south, right? High inflation, all that stuff, right? He loses his money, and then very quickly after he loses his money, guess what? He loses his friends. He's penniless. He hits rock bottom. And finally, he finds himself working uh, as a pig farmer in the area, and he thinks to himself, man, even my father's servants, even his slaves are treated better than this. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to ask dad for a job. And he goes home and he says, when his father sees him, he runs to his son and throws a huge party for him. And here's the difference. The son thought he'd be a hired hand. The son thought his value was in his contribution. The father knew he was his son. And I think that that is a really good story about how we view ourselves sometimes. That we view ourselves as hired hands that this is my contribution, this is what I do, these are my works. Jesus, let me tell you all the stuff that I can do as your employee. Have you seen my resume? And there's certainly an element of the faith where God is our master and we are his servants, but I can tell you the totality of the New Testament would teach that God wants a relationship that goes beyond that with you and I. He wants a relationship like a father has with his children. You are more to God than your contribution. You are more to God than hired help. You are his child. I went with a mentor of mine back, way back years ago uh, during my internship. I went with a mentor of mine to visit this older lady in a nursing home. She was near the end of her life, just sweet Christian woman. She, she was uh, going to be dying soon, and for whatever reason, she was just hanging on. And uh, she, she didn't pass, didn't pass. And so this pastor, mentor of mine and I went in and we're like, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? And I'll, I will never, ever forget this conversation. It marked my life. She said, I'm scared. Right? We understand. But why are you scared? Here's what she said. I felt like I could have done more. I could have taught another class. I could have given more dollars. I could have done more. I like, you did junior high ministry for like 30 years. Girl, you did enough. But um, and The minister said to her, hey, listen, Jesus doesn't love you because of what you've done for him. Jesus loves you because you're his daughter. She saw herself as a hired hand. She struggled with that. She saw herself as a hired hand, as a worker, and he was trying to get her to see Jesus sees you as his child. And when, she, when we got that through to her, the I am His child. I'm not just. I'm not just my contribution. I'm not just my service. I'm not just what I do. When she saw herself the right way that evening, she passed. She went to Jesus. She had no more reason to be scared. So James would say, "Works without an authentic faith. You know what it equals? Fear. It leads to fear. That have I done enough? Have I served enough? Have I contributed enough? Have I done the right things?" It it, it leads to fear that when you have a works that I just do a lot of good things, but I don't really know Jesus, it leads to fear. So where would the Bible land on this? Is it better to believe or is it better to do? Is it better to know? or is it better to act? Is it better to know a lot of stuff, or is it better to do a lot of stuff? And before we answer that question, let me give you a little background on James, if you'll allow me, very quickly, because this is going to help us end up where we need to end up. When the Bible was being assembled years and years ago, did you know that many Christians wanted to exclude James from your New Testament? All right. This was a huge debate in Christianity about whether or not James should even be included in your Bible. And most of the debate was because of chapters like we're reading right now, that some of the early church fathers felt like James contradicted the rest of the Bible, specifically the parts of the Bible that say we are saved by the grace and love of Jesus alone. They felt that James uh, really uh, contradicted parts of the Bible like Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Uh, It contradicted things like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then James, in verse 24, is saying, you say that a person is justified, but you see a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And they felt like James, James, what are you doing? that he was advocating this work-based righteousness that we're saved by what we do, uh, that James was hanging out on the work side of the equation, and I totally disagree. I think people misread James a little bit because they, don't, they, they forget the very first verse of the book of James, and here's what he says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. This always blows me away, by the way, because James and Jesus were brothers, right? Right? They, 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 they were brothers. Same mother, different fathers, right? So um, they, 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 were, they, were, they were half brothers. And I, this, this is such evidence to me about Jesus being the Messiah and the Lord. Because if you were to bring my sister up here on stage and said, tell us about Steve, she would say a lot of things. Lord is not one of them, right? And so the fact that James grew up with Jesus and said, man, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is such evidence of the conclusion that his family came to. But you have to remember, James was writing to Jews that had been converted to Christianity, and many of them had been raised on the Bible and knew it so well. They ruled Old Testament trivia, let me tell you. Some of them had a tendency to swing to the belief side of the equation. Um, It would not be unusual for a, a, a Jewish person that grew up going to school to be able to quote the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, word for word. It wouldn't be that unusual. Now, Genesis, Exodus impressive. You try memorizing Leviticus, right? And, and you see, you see the Leviticus numbers in Deuteronomy, they are always the part of the Bible reading plan where it's like, you know what? I think I'm going to read about Christ. You know, I'm going to go to the new Testament, right? So, but they had it memorized word for, for word. And it would be easy for them having converted to Christianity to say, look at everything I know. Look at how much I know the Bible. Look at my heritage." And I think what James is about is trying to swing the pendulum back to the center where it needs to be. That Christianity is not just about what we know. It's not just about what we do. But Christianity is about what James will call on the screen for you. True faith. True faith in Jesus. So before we go any further, let's clear it up right away. We are saved by grace. We are saved by the grace and the love of Jesus when we put our faith in him. We can never do enough. We can never be good enough. We can never outperform enough to perform our way into heaven. It is about the love and the grace of God through Jesus alone. In the same way, you can never know enough Bible trivia or stories to, to, to know your way into heaven. It is through, the faith, through faith in Jesus Christ by which we are saved. How can James say? Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, it's dead. Or how can James say, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do? Here's what James would say. We are saved by the love and the grace of God. But you better believe the more you know Jesus, the more he begins to change everything about you. Here's where I think James would land on this issue. If you put your faith in Jesus and you know Jesus, you don't just know about him, you really know him, and you aren't changing at all, your works and your deeds, that things are not changing, I think here's the question James would ask. How well do you really know Jesus? Because to know him, a lot of people in this room have experienced this truth. To know him is to be changed by him. And you can know a lot of facts and figures about Jesus and not be changed James identifies this as the truth about demons, right? Even demons know a ton of facts and figures about Jesus. But to actually know him, not just know about him, but to know him, you can't help but be changed and made new and different. And this is the faith that James is talking about all throughout the book of James. It's the center spot between belief and deeds, and this is the spot we want to find ourselves in. The the faith he's describing is a combination of faith and deeds, that knowing Jesus better and better and better, not just knowing about him, knowing him better and better, praying and studying the scriptures, praying, attending worship services, knowing him better and better, and then being changed by him as we know him better. So it's serving the poor, it's showing kindness, it's following through on our word, it's helping others, because to know him is to be changed by him. The center of It always, always, always is Jesus. The center is always Jesus, that you are not saved by what you know. You are not saved by what you do. You are saved by Jesus, whom you know. You are saved by Jesus, whom you know. But you better believe Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will change you and make you new and change your actions. You better believe that's true. So we don't want just a bunch of Bible trivia champions And we don't want a bunch of people, nice people that are just doing stuff. We want what we're trying to do as a church is introduce people to Jesus and help them know him better and better and better and then be changed by him because to know him is to be changed by him. And I love the examples in this text because you would expect in a sermon like this, I think as you're reading through James, you would expect to find Abraham in a passage like this, which you do a passage that talks about faith and being changed by, by faith and knowing God and being changed by God, you would expect to find Abraham in there, and it's absolutely there, to, to, that the Abraham knew God. It was credited to him as righteousness, but Abraham's actions and life was changed through that relationship. The one that surprises me is the story of Rahab. Rahab, if you remember, the story was a prostitute that lived in the town that God wanted to give to Israel, and so they sent spies in to check out the town. And they, were gonna, they stayed with Rahab. And you can imagine the guys' conversations with their wives on that trip, right? Where'd you stay when you went into the city? <laughs> You're going to find it hilarious. Um, yeah, we, no, probably not, right? So, um, but anyway, they, they stay with this prostitute. And the spies get tracked to Rahab's house. And the king sends his army in to capture the spies. And Rahab hides the men up on the roof from the authorities. She risks everything. Her life, her freedom, she risks it all to hide these guys. And when the guys are are talking to Rahab, let me put on the screen for you what she says about why her actions were changed. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and there is a great fear of you that has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting with fear because of you. We've heard How the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard about it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. This woman had an encounter with God. She heard about him and she heard about what happened and it changed her. It changed her decisions, it changed her life, it changed her works, it changed her deeds, it changed everything. And just to finish the story, you know what history says about Rahab? That some of this is not totally confirmable. This is just the stories that went on and on about Rahab is that she eventually left that line of work. Um, She marries a a man, has children, and you know where Rahab ends up in Matthew chapter 1? In the royal bloodline of Jesus. Rahab became the great-great-great-grandmother of David, all right, who then went on to bring about the line of Jesus. You can see her name in the genealogy. Why? God changes everything. And if he changed somebody like Rahab, I wonder what he can do with you. I wonder what he can do with me if we just will know him, not just know about him, but know him. To know him is to be changed by him. So Christianity, it's not just about what we know, it's who we know, and it's not just about what we do, it's about who we're serving. It's about Jesus, it's about a relationship with God, it's about a true faith in him that changes everything, our actions, our deeds, and our life. To know him is to be changed by him. I was teaching a class one time, an introductory Bible class at a previous church that I was serving, and it was for people just starting out in faith. And I said, man, I'm just kind of curious. I've always been curious by people's stories. So I'm kind of curious to kind of go around this room right now. What caused you to come back to Christ? What caused you to come back to church? What caused you to be in a class like this? And some people talked about having children. That's how my parents came back. They took one look at me and said, we need the Lord. (laughs) No question, we need the Lord, right? Right. We got to get back to church. So that true story that my, I led in, in large part, some, something about the demon eyes or something. Uh, I led my parents back to the Lord as a baby. So, right. Um, that's a very simplistic way of telling that story. But some people talked about that, that having their children, like, man, I grew up in the faith and I want my children to grow up in the faith. So some people talked about that. Some people talked about being raised Christian as a Christian and they went through a trial or an adversity and they said, I got to get back to it. I I can't face this without my faith. I got to get back to it. Some people talked about that. There's one woman's response as we were going around the room. I'll never forget it. People are telling their stories about coming back to faith, and it finally came to her, and with her head kind of down, here's what she whispered My way isn't working. My way isn't working. Some of you could say that this morning. You're making decisions that are unhealthy for you, hurting the people around you. You need Jesus to not just know about him, the stories and the facts and the figures, but to really know him and to put your hope and your trust in him because there's one thing I know to know him is to be changed by him. And all of us need to be changed. Our works, our deeds, our lives, they need to be changed. And Jesus is the way to accomplish that. There is something about knowing Him that results in change. I've seen it again and again and again. And there's something about, about knowing Him that causes what we believe and what we do to be in, what we believe to be in alignment with what we do. So this kind of ugliness that we see in our culture of, I believe this, but I do this, there's something about Christ that just convicts us of that, helps us to overcome that. And so what we believe and what we know becomes what we do. And that is a very beautiful thing for the people of God. So as a people, we believe in grace, but in Christ, we learn to show it. So so there's alignment between what we believe and what we do. We believe in love. In Christ, we show love. We believe in the truth. In Christ, we live out the truth. We believe in Jesus. In Christ, we live out the Jesus way. And so Christ, this is so important to him. If you ever read through, read through the Gospels, when uh, some of his toughest sermons we were like, I, I think I'd be fired after that sermon. Some of those sermons were about hypocrisy and people who were living without alignment. He's like, man, the title of today's sermon is You Whitewashed Tombs, right? That Jesus did that one time. The title of today's sermon is, You Brood of Vipers, right? Point one, you're a brood of vipers. Point two, repent, right? Point three, come back to me, right? This was what Jesus did. It was so important to him that his followers, yes, believe, but that their actions accompanied their beliefs. And so his Holy Spirit helps us accomplish that. And we want to, there's so little of this in the world. There's so little of this in the world There's so little of this in our culture. There is such a a departure from what people articulate, what they say, and what they know, and what they believe, and what they actually do. May it not be so of us. May we be a people who believe in Christ, but we live out the Christ way. We believe in love, but we live out the love way. We believe in grace, and we live out the grace way. We believe in truth, and we live out the truth way. Christianity will never be just about what you know, And it will also never be just about what you do. Christianity will always, always, always be about Jesus. Knowing him, loving him, and being changed by him. Because he always changes us from the inside out. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to receive communion, may we be convicted this morning. If there's a lack of alignment, if there's a lack of alignment, between what we believe and what we do would you convict us of that this morning especially as we're getting ready to head into thanksgiving we're going to spend some time with some people in our lives and may we not just believe grace may we demonstrate it may we not just believe love may we demonstrate it may we not just believe in you may we show the you way and so right now, as we're entering into a season of holidays where that can be kind of challenging and hard, I just want to pray right now, if there is a thing in me where like, I'm like a whitewashed tomb on an issue, that you would convict me, you would convict us of whatever is going on where there's not alignment. Because alignment is important to you. And what we know and what we say May it be what we do and how we live. And this is so, I know this is so important to you, that there be alignment. It's important enough that you gave us your Holy Spirit to convict us when it's not, to help us when it's not. And it was so important to Jesus that he spoke often about this issue. Let there be alignment in me. Let there be alignment in us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Hey, we're going to receive communion uh, together right now. Uh, And it's an opportunity to reflect on Jesus and just pray exactly what I just prayed. That Man, if there's a lack of alignment, would you just convict me of that right now? If there's a lack of alignment between what I believe and what I do, um, would you help me overcome that? And you can just spend some time talking to to Jesus and then I'll come back up and we'll receive communion all together as a church family. But this is a time for you to reflect and, and spend some time with him. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. And we're grateful that there was total alignment between what you believe and what you did. Especially on the cross and through your resurrection. We, we are so grateful that there was always alignment. So we can trust you. And we love that. And so as we go into this week of Thanksgiving, um, I pray that we would praise your name. We would Marvel at your grace, and we'd be grateful for everything that you've done. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I mean, it is, it's kind of shocking that Thursday is Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> like, is that, is that weird to anybody else or is life just kind of been, been going? So um, we're going to, we've got one last uh, uh, sermon in this series this coming Sunday, Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to talk a little bit about that we're not, Christians aren't, we're not just known for kind of what we're against. We're, we're known for what we're for. And uh, we're going to talk about some things that we're for next Sunday, some things we can be thankful for. And so hopefully you can join us. If not, uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy, family and friends. And you know what? Eat too much. There you go. All right. So uh, God bless you guys. Let's stand and sing one last song. Be shamed.